Hey y'all, Pastor Emil here with another episode of Sweet Jesus Taste and See that the Lord is good. Ice cream is sweet, but Jesus is far, far sweeter. Uh, great to be back in the podcast studio and to have Morris St. Angelo with me today. Uh, we uh, the, the sound on my mic, I think we're going to need a new mic. Changed out the mic, as you can see here. Uh, but we are going to keep going because we're not really here to listen to me today. I got more of St. Angelo here, and he has so many cool things to share that uh, I really want to let him talk as much as possible. So that's a good thing. The Lord is trying to get me to shut up. I think that's what this <laughs> is. You know, he's teaching me uh, to be quiet here. But Morris shared a little bit with us today at the uh, SMA meeting, the Slidell Ministers Association meeting, uh, celebrating 50 years since he uh, had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Amen. He met Jesus, and his life has never been the same. He actually shared quite a bit about that with us the last time he was in here. And uh, I encourage you to take a listen back to that. We'll we'll probably be talking a little bit about some of the same things, but I think there's a lot more here. And uh, since my mic is misbehaving, Morris, uh, why don't you... Uh, well, first, let's tell everybody about the ice cream. I made you pick your ice cream Yes, before. I had to pick my own ice cream, a drumstick with the chocolate center and vanilla ice cream. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Life yes. is good. Life is good. And uh, we decided to do the ice cream after because ice cream makes it really hard to talk sometimes. It's hard to have your tongue licking ice cream and so, trying to say words. But I made him pick so yes. that you could know what we would be enjoying. And you can get your own dessert, your own treat, cookie, cake, uh who knows what else? Cupcakes. Uh, what other sweet treats are there? I don't know. <laughs> nice piece of chocolate, cheesecake, something like that. Pull up a chair and enjoy not just that, but uh, seeing how much sweeter Jesus is. And uh, Morris, tell us a little bit about 50 years. 50 years. It's hard for me to believe as young as I am. I think I was minus 20 when I got saved. Minus <laughs> <laughs> 20. No, I was Jesus's age. I was uh, a month shy of being 33 years old of age. Um, as I told you previously, I was uh, worked in the aerospace industry, an intellectual pinhead, as I like to describe myself. <laughs> a pinhead. <laughs> yeah, that's somebody who thinks they know everything, doesn't know anything. Oh, well, yeah. I think that probably uh, yeah. there are a lot of people out there that think they know everything that probably could. Yeah, that. Uh, but I guess my mistake was, in hindsight, uh, it was probably the best thing I ever did. Uh, and I mentioned this this morning that I was taking a course. I was older when I was finishing up my education at the University of Houston. Took a course in uh, ancient literature. Ooh, how much fun can that be? It's one of those big classes with 200 to 300 students that everybody's got to pass to get out of there. And I, I was a graduating senior, and maybe take it because I transferred in, so you know how that goes. <laughs> and uh, the guy who was teaching the class was explaining how the Bible, which I had never owned or been even close to, much read, much less read, uh, how the it was just a bunch of fictitious stories like all the other ancient literature books uh, that had been written, uh, and uh, that it was not this holy book that. Uh, People proclaim, 
And uh, he made some disparaging remarks about this uh, prophet named Jesus. And I sat there and really sucked it up. And I said, because I was, again, I was in aerospace science, you know, all that kind of cool stuff. Uh, and so I wasn't into church and religion. And that. So it sounded so Good, you know, they hear <laughs> Somebody affirming you, Yes, right? like, yes. Uh, hey, you don't want to go to church? Yeah. Good, no reason to. Yeah, no, but why bother? So, uh, but I, I did need a, an answer to that, and I had a guy who was uh, Dr. Uh, Nolan, Jim Nolan, I give him credit, I hope he's dead right now. <laughs> I hate for him to hear this and come sue me, but uh, the, the truth is that uh, Jim and I, he was a professor at the University of Houston in the the behavioral management science. Uh, uh, he had degrees from Yale, Emory, New York University, Brown University, and God, I don't know where else he went, but he was uh, very, very well learned uh, from the college uh, institutions. Mm. But the interesting thing was, he was also an elder in his church, as a mainline denominational church. Uh, and I was helping him do some computer work and develop some uh, sociological testing mechanisms that uh, he could uh, make available in the business world. So uh, I called him up after I'd heard that wonderful news about the Bible of Jesus, and I said, hey, Jim, can we have uh, a breakfast in the morning, a cup of coffee, something? He said, sure. So not unusual here and I to meet. Uh, so... I met with him, and Jim, I asked him about the Bible, and I said, uh, tell me about the Bible. What do you believe about the Bible? And if any of you, as I mentioned this morning, have taken mm -hmm. psych, a uh, reflective method of uh, counseling, you reframe the question and give it back. And he says, well, what do you think about that, Morris? And I said, oh, it's a bunch of bull, and I parroted exactly what I'd heard from this <laughs> professor at the university. And he said, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. It's, it's not true at all. So then I went to the core of it, and I said, well, what about Jesus? He said, well, what do you think about it? And so I said, oh, he's just a prophet, got a following, but this thing will die, and they probably killed him, but his resurrection, no, that's just malarkey, trying to control the masses. And he said, that's exactly true. So now I really got this thing confirmed in my mind. And I became a, an evangelist against the Bible and against Jesus. You might be listening and say, how dumb is that? I didn't say I was smart. I just said I was an intellectual <laughs> pinhead. Uh, so I uh, told all my uh, fellow rocket people who were trying to get to the moon about this over cocktails, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, that I think uh, God and I had an arrangement. I don't know if it's his arrangement, but, you know, he left me alone and I left him alone. But when I started monkeying with the Bible and Jesus, uh, he started to show me what things are really like, brought me to the ground floor of life, uh, my fortunes, uh, my connections, my all the things I had disappeared. And I can't say with 100% certainty, certainty, but I believe... That was probably August the 8th, 1971, because one year later, August the 8th, 1972, I had an encounter with Jesus Christ that changed my life. Uh, guy asked me if uh, I was to die, would I go to heaven and hell? I said, if there is a heaven and hell, I'd probably go to hell. 
And he showed me some scriptures about Jesus, and if you would believe in him, he'd forgive all your sins. And, man, I was such a wreck. I needed help. And so uh, I, uh, when he got down to this moment in the, in the conversation, without going through all the details of it, uh, he said, would you like to receive Christ in your life and get your sins forgiven and all that? And being an analyst that I was, I said, well, let me think about this. And he had already quoted John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world. And he put my name in it. For God so loved Morris that he gave his only begotten son. That kind of interests me. And uh, then, so then he said, uh, John 3.18, very few people read. He said, uh, <laughs> for good reason. Uh, he that believes on the Son has life, and he that believes not is condemned already in the wrath of God, a barge upon him. He said, if you get killed on the way home today, you will go to hell. And I said, Okay, what do I have to do? <laughs> no and, pressure. Yeah, and that was one thirty in the afternoon on a Tuesday, on August the 8th, 1972. I received Christ in my life in this man's house. And, uh, Amos, I don't know what happened to me, but whatever it was changed me drastically. And uh, this August the 8th was 50 years ago that that happened. And uh, I've had the most marvelous life any person on the planet could ever have. And it's all due to Jesus Christ. Him alone. And by the way, I do believe the Bible now. <laughs> as, a, as my mentor said, I believe everything from uh, holy bobbly in the front and bonded leather, leather on the back. <laughs> so it's not a book of uh, myths and fairy tales oh, and, no. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's the truth that will change your life. And I've spent the last 50 years studying it and learning about it. Well, not just studying and learning about it. I mean, today you went through... A series of things that uh, you know would give any person an out. Mm -hmm. uh, you would have had plenty of reason to just give up on the whole thing, and yet somehow this encounter fifty years ago, the scriptures you studied, sticks with you, and and if anything, actually got you through it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, life is on its that's very difficult, you know. Yeah. And uh, we all uh, experience problems. I know that sometimes uh, because you and I are pastors, they think we get a pass. <laughs> we get no pass. <laughs> yeah, I actually, uh, this past Sunday, I started uh, gym class, mm -hmm. which is J-I-M class, studying the book of James. Oh, you're so cool. I stole the idea. It's not my <laughs> original idea. But uh, the first couple of verses there, consider it pure joy mm. when you encounter trials of various mm. kinds. And so I actually had a couple of moments I shared mm. how miserable my life has been. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no pain, no gain. That was the theme. Oh, so. that's, that's true. And uh, as I mentioned this morning, what, and I spoke about this in my church Sunday, is uh, this, what, how did I get this far? You know, what kept me... 50 years. Perseverance 50 years, is the yeah. word in James. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's uh, focus, steadiness. When the whole world was shaken, Christ never shakes. Hebrews says that uh, everything that can be shaken will be shaken, so that that which cannot be shaken won't be shaken. And I found my relationship with Christ. And I'm, uh, you, you've been around me a lot uh, the last several years, and I focus on Jesus him crucified, raised from the dead. That's it. That's all I really, really know. The rest of it's window dressing, you know, although I study a lot, been to seminary and all those things. But knowing Christ is uh, 
it holds me together in times. And I've seen others who've waned from that uh, in the difficulty they uh, experience in life. Uh, the steadiness and the focus is, uh, holds me. Uh, I mentioned the monuments uh, in our lives really help us. Things that God has done that is so obviously Him that we need to remember those things. We talked about the, you know, putting stones in the Jordan River as a memorial uh, of the crossing that day on dry land. Uh, and so uh, remembering these things that God has done that are just so phenomenal. And uh, the other is uh, probably uh, difficult for people to understand that. I would say this, but that uh, not getting your own way. Hmm. You know, you talk to God sometimes, and you ask. Lots of times he answers, and sometimes he doesn't. You know, people say God says no. Sometimes he says nothing. <laughs> you know, leaves you dry and hanging out, and uh, people get angry with God because uh, he didn't meet their needs or their request. And uh, I've had some of those things, but I've never walked away from God. This core of Christ holds me steady. Uh, in those times, and I've learned to accept that, and that's all right. You know, I'm okay with that. Uh, not that I'm happy about it sometimes, and I mentioned uh, the loss this past year of a, dear, dear, a friend of mine that I prayed every prayer I knew. Uh, I told somebody I put enough oil on him, praying for him, and could use him for lettuce salad. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I prayed and asked God, but uh, it wasn't... Uh, wasn't to be, and he died, and uh, just took the, a lot of starch out of me. And uh, I, as I said, I'm still kind of ticked off at God, but I haven't had a falling out about it. You know, <laughs> we're not getting a divorce or anything. You're still going to get together for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Or oh something. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not going anywhere. I got no place to go. I mean, uh, it's like uh, who's the Peter when Jesus asked him, "Lord, to whom shall we go? Yeah. You have the words of eternal life." Yeah, we got no, yeah. I got no place to go. I've been to the. <laughs> The other side, I don't want to go back there. And then people disappoint you, and that's, that's part of our life. But, uh, but even these seemingly horrific things that happen, as we talked about, I was in a really bad accident, and uh, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. Uh, and he gets you through anything and everything. Just, just hang with him. Yeah, you know, if you give up on Jesus, what do you have? What, what What's the alternative? I think that's really the the question that, I mean, they, they you just kind of wind up with, well, life just sort of sucks, and mm-hmm. we're just floating around accidentally in the universe. We may as well just pretend that's not the case mm-hmm. and uh, try and enjoy ourselves while we can. Yeah. Really? That's better? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not better. Yeah. It's... it's uh, actually less intellectual mm. right so this was kind of started out with the pinhead idea yeah. <laughs> knowing an awful lot and and really not knowing anything at mm. all uh, smart people get themselves into the this way of thinking and really it's the least helpful least consistent least intellectual you know you, you actually have to kind of mm. suspend logic mm-hmm. right so yeah that was uh one of the things that uh like dealing with computers which i was in the computer business and uh i could do things in binary uh base 10 base 8 hexadecimal numbers and read binary code and do all that stuff 
And it's pretty heady that you can do it. I mean, not everybody can do that. Uh, but it doesn't get you anywhere in the kingdom of God. <laughs> I mean, it's, so what? Yep. But uh, a simple faith. One of my heroes of the Bible, which you may not be most people's hero, is the guy uh, on the cross who died next to Jesus. And what I liked about him, he didn't have a long prayer and a lot of repentance and mea culpas and thumping his chest. He just said, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And I, Jesus didn't say all of this, but I could almost hear him say, wow, <laughs> that's pretty good. That's kind of what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah, come <laughs> Faith on. Faith like to, a child, all uh, that. Just hang tight for a while, and uh, you and I will be together in paradise today. And so that's, uh, we don't have to be theologians uh, to know Christ. Uh, we just have to be willing to turn our lives over to him. And that's the most secure place your life can be, is in the hands of Jesus Christ. You know, And I live in that and live with that. So you talked about a number of things today. Uh, stability, mm-hmm. focus, stability, focusing on Jesus, not mm-hmm. focusing on what you don't get. How what would have been some of the, you mentioned losing your friend. Uh, what are some things more specifically? I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about your boat accident yet or you had a number of things that kind of drove home this point that Everything else doesn't matter nearly as much as you think. And uh, it's true. It's true. you don't get your way mm-hmm. often. Uh, sometimes you see some great things, but uh, it's, it's a life. Jesus was on the cross. Jesus suffered. Mm-hmm. So we're not exempt from difficulty and pain. But yet somehow Jesus is the sustaining force. Yeah. I think the boating story is is a good one because it really illustrates what we're talking about. Most of the time when something goes wrong in a person's life or they go through some kind of horrific situation, uh, subliminally, if not overtly, we say, hmm, I wonder what they've been doing wrong. You know, it's kind of like... the temple, you know, when everybody had to go to the temple and they had to bring a sacrifice that really, you know, showed what they had done, you know, how big their sins were. You could bring a turtle dove or, or some wheat, you know, and every once in a while some guy's there with a big heifer, you know. <laughs> and you say, wow, I wonder what that guy did wrong, you know, kind of, that kind of thing, you know. And so that happens sometimes when people have hard times. They, you know, they kind of think, well, that's a big heifer story, you know. What did he do wrong to end up here? The remarkable part of that is, before this boating accident that I was in, uh, the church that I was at, I wasn't pastoring at the time, I was an elder in the church, uh, God divinely began to wake some people up in the middle of the night to go to the church building and pray. I'm not that big an early riser, <laughs> you know. We, people were waking up like 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and going down to the church in the dark, going into the main auditorium and praying. Nothing organized. At first, it was one or two guys. I happened to be one of the guys that got down there, and others started joining us. And we would 
which is impossible for me to do, pray from 4 o'clock in the morning to 8 when you got to go to work. Mm. Some people came in their pajamas. I mean, that's, it. <laughs> that's what it was like. But it was not, nobody organized it, nobody planned it. We just went. Uh, anyway, I've, I've never been in anything spiritually that was that elevating as I was during that period of time. Uh, we would, it was like this low rumble as people were praying individually and walking around the auditorium, some laying down, some on the pews, you know, just kind of amazing. And I was lifted to such a high point in my relationship with the Lord. Not that I got any more saved or any more righteous or anything, just my awareness of Him uh, that took place doing that. And it went on for quite a while, I mean, months. Uh, and more and more people were showing up. Even the pastor showed up. I mean, how good is that? <laughs> That's a pretty big deal. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I mean, he showed up and we let him come. So uh, this is where it gets a little cardinal. I, I love the fish. Uh, my first early remembrances of my life was being in a boat with my dad. Mm. Well, I'm talking about a little bitty tyke. You know, barely hold a cane pole in my hand. And uh, so as soon as I got old enough to buy boats and motors and fishing, I've been buying that stuff. I got a collection of it. Not anymore, but I did. Uh, and I had made plans about a year earlier to go down to a place uh, called uh, Venice. Uh, not the country of, but the location of down at the mouth of the Mississippi River. You probably haven't been there yet in your uh, life down here in the south. It is Fishing Mecca. Let me tell you, it is an amazing, aesthetically beautiful place. And fish want to jump out of the water and get in your boat. They love you so much for going to visit them. <laughs> I mean, it is crazy, crazy. And we had uh, several people that had uh, made plans to go spend a weekend down there. We had uh, arranged for having a condo. And we were going to stay, and uh, we had three boats, and so it was a it was a really big deal. Well, a prayer meeting's going on, and I hated to leave my buddies, <laughs> and but I told them, I said, "Look, I've been planning this fishing trip, and I'm not going to be here for the next three days." <laughs> I really felt bad about it, but I I'd rather fish, uh, and didn't mind disappointing them as long as I go fishing. So that was the deal. And I had a really nice boat. It's a, it was a 19-foot uh, open uh, cabin boat. Uh, it's designed to go through rough water. It's got a nice deep V on it. But it's got like a bass boat top where you can stand and fish out of it. It's a really, really nice boat. Had a 150-horsepower uh, Yamaha motor on it. At the time, it was one of the biggest motors you could put on a boat. Uh, it's kind of like... He who dies with the most toys wins. He who dies with the biggest motor wins. You know, so you always want to have a motor bigger than your buds. So uh, we went down to go fishing, and uh, we uh, spent the first day fishing. Caught a few. wasn't a big deal, you know, but we caught some. We got down there late in the day because we had a drive. It's a pretty long drive. Next day, we're up at the crack of dawn, you know, crank up the engines, get everything set, and we take off. And you go down the Mississippi, and you got to pass all these ships in the Mississippi. It's kind of crazy, because they could sink you in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
So we're running past these boats, and we had to cross the river at one point to get to this place, a tributary, where we're going fishing. And so we were down there, the three boats, and uh, this is my first trip down there. So I I didn't know the area that well. I was following my brother-in-law, who had his boat, and I also had a, a new device called a GPS New, wow. New, yeah. it was new. It wasn't nearly as nice as we have today, but it gets you from point A to point B. Well, we were down, at, I was following my brother-in-law, we went down this tributary off the Mississippi River, and we were just uh, a, a breath away from the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, that's how close we were to it. And I'd, I just can't see how peaceful it was and beautiful it was. And I was sitting there, I'm feeling a lot of guilt for not being at that prayer meeting. Oh, man. And I I was, God and I were having this conversation, and I felt it was time, don't feel bad about fishing, it's just just for me, you know. I felt it was time for me to give up fishing. I just did, I don't know why. I had been thought about it for a while, because I spent a lot of time fishing. I mean, I... Uh, it, it was really a big part of my life. Uh, and we weren't catching any fish, and I had just told the Lord, I said, Lord, uh, when I get back to back home, this boat's going up for sale. I'm getting rid of it. I'm getting rid of all my fishing equipment. That's the end of it. Uh, and I felt good about that decision. I just, you know, I thought it was something that God would have me to do. I didn't have any rhyme or reason to it, other than I thought that's what I would do. So back to we weren't catching any fish. So one thing you do if you're not catching any fish at one place, you crank up that engine, you go someplace go else. Place, yeah. And I thought we'd go back to where, close to where the condo was, which meant a trip up the Mississippi River, you know, up through this tributary, cross the Mississippi River, dodge the ships, and get to where we had to go. So I had a guy working, I had a, at the time I owned a computer business. And the guy who was my national sales manager, his name is Ken, was with me. Uh, so I told Ken, I said, let's, let's pull the anchor up and let's go back up where we're going. And my brother-in-law says, you know the way? I said, well, I got my GPS system, you know, that'll take me there. Well, it's not like the nice stuff we have today. It just takes you from point A to point B, straight line. Closest distance, closest distance between two points is what? Straight, a straight line. line. Yeah. So that's what it does. So I had a, uh, my boat was equipped with all the nice things you'd have, depth finders and things. And you're always aware of shallow water when you're in a boat. So I, we were running along around 40 miles an hour. 40 miles an hour in a boat is like 80 miles an hour in a car. <laughs> I mean, you know you're moving. Uh, and I'm looking at the depth gauge, and it's, you know, 35, 40 feet of water underneath the keel, so I'm not worried about it. Uh all of a sudden, we were in this tributary about, oh, maybe oh, maybe 100 yards from the Mississippi River. The boat starts stopping of its own volition. Everything, you know, uh, is stopping except me and Ken, and we're getting thrown forward in the boat. The alarms in the boat are going off. Something tragic has happened. And I don't know what it is. It all happened so fast. And... Uh, when I finally, everything stopped in motion, I'm laying on the floor. I had fallen forward, hit a, 
a nice chest, and my other buddy, he's in a bundle in the front of the boat. And I'm trying to say, what what has happened here? I, I didn't know. The alarms in the boat are very loud, and they're sounding. The motor's telling me that it's not happy. So I, I got up, went and turned everything off, and so there's this quiet. And I looked at Ken, and he said, he said, what? What's going on? And I looked out the side of the boat, and I could see the bottom. The water, not the mm, bottom yeah. of the boat. I could see the bottom of the boat, too. We were in about a foot and a half of water. And what I didn't know, my brother-in-law knew, that if you go straight across that tributary to go back to where we came, you, there's a giant sandbar that's there I didn't know about. Mm. So... Uh, You know, deciding what to do. And I would check everything. Everything's fine as far as I can tell. So I said, well, let's uh, let's see if we can run run out of here. So we cranked up the motor to try to, you know, let it push the boat out. And we just couldn't, it wouldn't push us out. So I turned it off and said, let's get out and we'll push it. Well, this boat is big and it's heavy. And we got two guys who are not in the best shape. (laughs) 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 They're trying to push it. And the more we pushed, the less it moved. It, we would kind of spin it in a half a circle, but it wouldn't go anywhere. And so I went looking around and surveyed the area. We had run up about maybe, I don't know, 50, 60 feet up uh, on this sandbar, mm-hmm. and we needed to get off of it, obviously. But we couldn't move it. Um, the weather was getting kind of sour, uh, not unusual in, in the afternoons in the south to have some foul weather. Uh, some white caps were kicking up in the uh, in the water, you know, the, the deep water, more so than where we were. Uh, I said, "Well, we need to get out of here." Well, I have radios and a cell phone. Fancy. So, who do you call? The Coast Guard. So <laughs> <laughs> I called the Coast Guard, and I told them where I was and what I was doing, and uh, I said, "Can you guys send a?" some help over here and pull me off the sandbar. And they said, oh, well, we don't do that. I said, well, what do you mean you don't do that? I see it in movies. <laughs> you do it all the time. <laughs> they said, no, we don't do that because of liability. We don't want to, you know, damage anything. I said, uh, what am I supposed to do? And they said, wait for high tide. I said, when's high tide? About 4 o'clock in the morning. I said, I'm spending the night out here in the river. Are you crazy? Anything could happen to us. So, uh, we get off the phone, and I told Ken, well, let's just try to push it and use the motor. All right. So if you can imagine this, Ken gets up on the right side of the boat where the throttles are. I get in the, by the transom on the back of the boat where the motor is. And I remember the, the last thing I told Ken, I said, look, we need to be careful. We're going to have this motor running. And I always need to be careful if the motor's running around the boat. Uh, so I said, you work the throttles and push from the side. I'll get in the back here, and I'll push from the back. And so we did. We cranked up the motor. The motor's sitting at an angle because it can't, you know, go down like it would normally be. Mm-hmm. So it's about a 45-degree angle. And it's uh, kicking up a big rooster tail of water and sand, you know, blowing way behind the boat. And Ken's, uh, you know, accelerating and I'm pushing, I got my head down, giving it my best shot, and the boat starts to move in the right direction. And I'm 
praising the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, I'm really going for it. To this day, I don't know exactly what happened, but your mind is, uh, you know, you hear about people forgetting things and they can't remember it. I can't remember the impact. But when I was standing up about maybe 20 feet from the boat, and I could see the boat, the motor's running, the rooster tail of water's kicking high up in the air, and I'm trying to rationalize what has happened here. And I I know that the uh, something bad has happened, and I need to get to the boat. I know that. So I start to walk to the boat, and my right arm won't move. And I look down, and the prop had hit me between my shoulder and my elbow. I mean, it just really did a job on it, and it wouldn't move. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll take it with my left hand, and I went to go down to grab my wrist with my left hand, and my thumb was hanging over the back of my hand. So I flipped my thumb back in the palm of my hand like so, reached down, grabbed my wrist, pulled my right arm up to my tummy, and started walking back to the boat. The boat is sitting about maybe three and a half feet out of the water. How I got in, in the, into that boat to this day, I have no idea. But I got into the boat. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And I'm laying on the deck. I'm kind of amedical. I heard somewhere if you get hurt, you don't want to go in shock. So you either hold your head up or your feet up. I couldn't remember which one. But the only thing I could do was get my feet up. And so I put my feet on the transom. I'm laying on the deck, which was the right thing to do, I found out later. Mm. So uh, I am bleeding beyond belief. I mean, it is, it is a, the inside of that boat is a bloody mess. And I say to myself, this is dying. You know, you only lose so much blood and you're, mm. you're out of here. So uh, I thought... I'm going to lose enough blood where I'm going to gray out, pass out, and I'm gone. So I said, Lord, I've been serving you since I found out who you are. And if it's time for me to come home, I'm ready to go. And Emil, I was not panicked. I wasn't screaming for my life. I, it's, it's hard for me to verbalize what I experienced. But it was like the most natural thing for me to do at that point was to die. It was like breathing in air. And I felt no fear, no anxiety. It was just time to go. I I didn't see a light. I didn't see a tunnel. I just knew that it was, uh, that I was going to die right there. Uh, You've met my wife and uh, I've been in love with her since the day I met her. Uh, she's gorgeous. She's wonderful. She doesn't beat me too much. <laughs> what more could you want in a wife? And uh, I knew that uh, my dying was going to be devastating to her. And uh, there was nothing I could do about it. So I said, Lord, would you take care of Pat and help her to get through the days and weeks ahead without me? Now, this might mess up your theology, but I don't mind doing that, <laughs> the Jesus that I didn't believe existed said to me, as clearly as you hear my voice, he said, you will live and not die. 
I instantaneously quit bleeding. I never felt any pain, none, zero pain. The only thing I felt was on my arm where the prop had hit me, like pressure. Somebody was holding on to it, like a putting pressure on it. It's just my analysis of it. Um, I was as lucid as I ever am, which is questionable. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And you might ask, well, what about your buddy Ken? Well, I don't know. Where's he been during all this? Where's he been doing all this? Well, I'm laying down there, and I look up, and I see Ken standing outside the boat, obviously. Uh, And he's got my cell phone, and he's talking to the Coast Guard. And he's he's telling them, you know, there's been an accident. We need to get help. Uh, Can you get out here right away? And Ken is a salesman who never hears the word no. He could sell ice cream to the Eskimos kind of thing, you know. <laughs> Forgive me if an Eskimo, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but in a good way. And uh, he's telling these guys, you got to get here. He's dying. He's going to die if you don't get here. Uh, and so I hear him say, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. And he hangs up the phone and he looks down at me. He said, they'll be here in 10 minutes. He lied. They didn't tell him 10 minutes. That's what he told me. Uh I'm going to to go past some of the details of it because the story gets too long. We don't want to bore your listeners with this. (laughs) But uh, I stayed out there for three and a half hours in the bottom of the boat. Never passed out, never lost consciousness, never felt any pain. Uh, Finally, the Coast Guard showed up, not with a helicopter, but with a ship that they parked in the Mississippi River. (laughs) (laughs) He showed up, uh, an interested bystander had showed up with an airboat in Louisiana. Of course, you have airboats. Some guys got off the ship, came over to me, the EMTs. They put me in one of those little wire baskets, put me on the, uh, the top of this airboat, and they airboated me over to the ship. Some able-bodied seamen, not too able-bodied, dropped a rope down, two ropes, they put a connected it to the head and to the feet of this little wire basket, and they began to hoist me up to the ship, which is, I don't know, 40 feet in the air. I don't know. It's way up there. One of the guys wasn't as able-bodied as the other, and he lost the rope. <clears throat> Thank goodness it was the feet rope. Uh, the other guy couldn't hold me. I went straight down like a arrow into the water. I mean, they dropped me right in the water. Oh, man. It's funny. I mean, it was really. It was, I thought it was funny. It was well, happening to me. Tragedy plus time equals humor. You've yeah, I guess so. It does. It, oh. So wow. they got me back on the um, on the deck of the Coast Guard cutter, which has a heliport, you know, with the helicopters. And just about that moment, I hear a helicopter come and look up. Big orange helicopter rescue helicopter shows up. They drop a line, hook it to the basket, and they hoist me up into the helicopter. Uh, and the, the guy asked me, what hospital you want to go to? I wasn't really thinking about what hospital I want to go to. But uh, I said, you know, because of all the drilling in the Gulf of Mexico, 
and you know, guys get hurt. That uh, I asked, and I know the helicopters uh, rescue people off the those rigs. I said, "Where's the best hospital?" He said, "Well, we take everybody. I think it's uh, West Jefferson Hospital." And I said, "Well, take me there. It's in New Orleans." So uh, they flew me to the hospital, came and they did, they landed. And they, I love to fly. I mean, I love, and a helicopter is uh, uh, just, a special uh, treat. Isn't it? Oh, it's better than ice cream. <laughs> so I'm looking out the plane, and they finally uh, land me at the hospital. They pick me up on a gurney. They bring me into the emergency room, uh, and they ask me questions I don't have the answer to. What's your blood type? I said, I have no idea. None. No idea. Mm. I said, well, we got to get some blood in you. He said, uh, we can't give you any pain medicine because you can't get a blood pressure reading on you. You're at zero, zero. And pain medicine lowers your your blood pressure. And I said, well, I'm not feeling any pain. And the doctor says, really? I said, yeah, I'm fine. (laughs) Except for (laughs) what's going on. So uh, they uh, got me some blood. I don't, to this day, I don't know what they said, but in my mind, I heard it was something like Walmart blood or something. I don't know, some brand X, you know, generic. And they pumping it into me two bags at a time. And uh, since so much time has transpired, my wife ends up there in, at the hospital. She comes in. She sees me, poor baby. Oh, man. Oh, man, she got the dizzies. They had to sit her down. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I was starting to get the dizzies over here a little while ago. But uh... Now, I, I know it's crazy, but to me, it's not a problem, all right? Well, good for you. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> so two physicians show up, two orthopedic uh, physicians, and, uh, I, you know, they, they're assessing me. And, I, and so I asked them, I said, uh, am I going to lose my arm? And uh, the doctor said, uh, well, I can probably get blood to it and give it life, but if the, if the nerve endings are destroyed, which they probably are, he said, uh, I can put you, give it back to you, but you're going to have 20 surgeries and two years of misery, and you're going to ask me to remove it. I said, well, doctor, you make the decision. When, you know, I'm good with it. I've gotten long, 57 years, I think it was 57 years old at the time. So I can make it the rest of the way with one arm, so don't worry about it. So uh, as it turns out, uh, they gave me some joy juice, put me to sleep. I wake up in the uh, emergency room, I mean the recovery room. And, of course, what's the first thing you do? Of course, my left hand is bandaged up. It looks like something out of a horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) They were able to reattach my thumb. I looked down, and my arm was going. I said, well, Lord, I guess we've got a new adventure uh, going here. Mm. So... uh, I guess that's kind of the end of the story, except that uh, well, I had an incident happen that I think uh, will help you understand me and what happened. My daughter lives down in Florida, and they flew her in, and uh, I just uh, come out of the... No, I guess I was going into surgery or coming. I don't remember which one it was. But she was there, and she was pretty, you know, teary and worried. And I told us, don't worry about it. It's just a di- we can handle this. It's just a family thing. Don't worry. We're fine. I'm, I'm okay. 
And when they took me off, Tiffany said to her mother, she said, uh, my daddy's still in there. <laughs> my daddy's still in there. So that, and the rest of it is history. I, I'm the same guy I've always been, uh, minus an arm. I tell people if you die before I do, and you get to heaven, you see a disenfranchised arm bunching around. <laughs> it's mine. Tell it to hang on. I'll be there one day. So wow. that's the story of uh, my boating accident. It's uh, pretty miraculous that I'm alive to tell you the story. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't think many people come through it quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, losing limbs tends to be pretty traumatic for mm-hmm. most people. But... Just listening to the story, knowing you, there's something about the joy of Jesus. That's it. And, you know, whatever. It, right? it doesn't matter. All the stuff that we worry about. And I don't think that I'm not a guy who, you know, I get anxious about things and, you know, like anybody else. Remember I told you earlier about the monuments? Mm-hmm. Just remember where, where Christ is taking you through other things, and I have that where I've seen God work in miraculous ways in my life and other people's lives. So, you know, you can... I heard a guy who was in a terrible, terrible accident. He was in a wheelchair, and he was doing marvelous things, and somebody said, how do you do this? He said, well, I used to be able to do 20,000 things, now I can only do about 15,000 things. And that's the way I feel. I used to be able to do 20. Now I have to get people like you to take the cap off cap of a bottle for me. I Help me put these, these ears over me, you know. But I, I'm at the core, Emil, of who I am is the recipient of the marvelous, transforming grace of God that transformed me 50 years ago. He hasn't changed. Nothing's changed as far as I'm concerned. One day, uh, like I read this morning, I'm going to shed this earthly body. Uh, and so uh, I'll be united with my arm. A lot of people want to pray for my arm to move back. I say, I'm the worst candidate to pray for his arm to move, grow back because I'm so ambivalent about it. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> I've got this beautiful $150,000 piece of junk I carry around. It's more decoration than anything else. And, you know, I'm okay. I am oh. really okay. You are. I think more than okay. And it all all the glory goes to him. I, in the natural, it's impossible to go through what I went through, first of all, to be alive. And people told me, learned people, said, well, you know, you're going to go through some depression, hmm. you know, Losing the limbs like losing a loved one or something. Well, it hadn't happened yet. <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm not wow. depressed. I, I, I'm, okay. I'm okay. That's all I can say. I'm, I'm okay. Well, I think they were trying to be helpful. Sure they were. And I'm sure there are people that will stumble across this and, uh, you know, maybe they have yeah. gone through that. Maybe they are going through that. But I think the message is still the same, that... Jesus helped you go avoid that, and I think Jesus can probably help them get out of it. He's uh, no respecter of persons. Yeah. Uh, the secret is, do you know who he is? 
You know, do you know the King of Kings? Have you ever met him? Or do you have some kind of church religion, you know, and never really thought about it? You know, church is something you do on Sunday. You know, I'm in your name, your denomination. I'm a this or that or whatever. But there, there's, some, there's something really more. Mm. And Jesus talked about it. I mentioned this this morning. Uh, when Paul actually wrote about it, he said that in Christ we are a new creation. Old things pass away. All things become new. I've yeah. experienced that. And I know you have. And I know others have. Uh, and that's what sustains us. Uh, life is uh, full of troubles, as we started off saying. But uh, God can take us through. Would I rather have two arms? Give me a break. Of course I'd rather have two arms. <laughs> Would I rather not have gone through that? Of course I'd rather not have gone. Well, I'm sure Jacob said, I wish I wouldn't have wrestled with God and my hip was still okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Well, God doesn't give us anything uh, or, or take anything away or keep anything from us that we that we need, mm-hmm. right? And anything he takes away, we don't need mm-hmm. as long as we've got him. The only thing we need is Jesus. Absolutely. So when you were, uh, a couple of points, just in case folks aren't fully aware, what were, you're talking about these memorials, these memorial mm-hmm. stones. Joshua 4, I believe is where it is. Does that mm-hmm. sound right to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, Joshua is leading the Israelites across the Jordan River, and uh, he tells them to pick out a stone and to pick a stone to to keep as a memorial. We're going to keep these things here on the, the side of the river as a memorial to show people what God did, how God led us through, how he stopped the flow of the river, mm-hmm. just like he stopped, you know, he paved a dry path for them through the Red Sea and and so many other things. I want you to remember it. So get a stone, put it down, here it is. Remember. And uh, there's a lot of things that God does. And that's why this podcast is here. You know, I want people to know things that have happened to other people to give them hope to get through what's in in theirs, how Jesus gets you through things. Mm -hmm. But uh, something to also get them to think about how God's been working in their lives because, I mean, I don't know if we all have a story like yours. Uh, <laughs> you for some necessarily reason, want it. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, God uh, God gave you quite a story. But there was also also something interesting. I don't know if this how important this is, but, you know, you said you felt pressure. Mm-hmm. Right? What do you think that was about? I'm sure you've thought about that. Oh, I have. I thought about a lot of things, you know, what caused it, you know, how did it happen, you know, just, uh, you know, and I don't know that I believe what I'm about to tell you, but, you know, we talk about we have a guardian angel that's oh, with us yeah. all the time, you know, I don't know whether I buy that or not. I'm not opposed to it or believe it. If I have one, you'll be able to spot him. He's got prop marks on his wing. <laughs> They're trying to drag me away from that photo. <laughs> you idiot. Yeah, what are you doing? Dude, come on, you know. So uh, I, don't, I don't know where I was going with that. I, I lost my train of thought. The is, pressure. Who, oh, the pressure, know, yeah. the pressure. I wouldn't be surprised if it was uh, an angel of the Lord. Uh, just stop the bleeding. I mean, it, I have a good friend of mine who's uh, – He's retired now, but he was a firefighter, 
an EMT kind of guy, and uh, he was kind enough to come get my boat because uh, when I got back to, back home to clean it out for me, hmm. uh, and he and he told me he couldn't believe the amount of blood that was in the inside of that boat that he cleaned out and washed out for me. Um, so there's no reason for me to be here. I got to tell you that. And I think the Lord stopped and left me a little bit of blood to, to keep me going, I guess, <laughs> till I could get uh, pumped up that hospital. The things about God that and things that happen to us, people often want to know why. Why did that happen to me? I had a good friend of mine. Uh, he he was didn't know the Lord at the time. And Sam told me uh, after he saw me when I was recovering, he said, "You know, I deserve that to happen to me, but you don't. You know, you you you've been serving God that I don't believe in. You know, you you didn't deserve this to happen to you. You know, we try to equate those kinds of things. You know, and we want to know why this happened. That is a question I don't believe gets answered very easily, or mm-hmm. or very frequently." But there is a question that God answers, I believe, 100% of the time. And it's one of those things that 50 years of what sustains you. I don't ask God why. I ask him how. How can I get through this? Hmm. And he always answers that question. And uh, he's taking me through the uh, the trauma. Uh, I'm pretty much okay now. Uh, I don't have any residual effects. Uh the, the miracles, the, the you know, the monuments. My hand is a monument. Uh, you can see on my hand uh, where my left thumb was amputated oh, wow. and a prop walk down the middle of my hand and over here on my pinky. That's enough for you to bleed to death. The doctor put this hand back together. He didn't believe he could do it. And when I went to see him, after I had gotten some therapy, you know, it was a month or so ago, I went back, and he said... Can you touch your index finger with your thumb? I said, like that? And he said, yeah. He said, can you touch the next finger? I said, yeah. I said, can you touch them all? I went like this. He said, can you, you know, reach down with your thumb? And he said, I can't believe you can do that. <laughs> he said, it's, it's, that is, he went and got the whole staff, took pictures of my hand, a video of it. He, he just couldn't believe that that would work after the trauma they had been through. Mm, wow. uh, so, uh, yeah, I got one good hand. So we've got two things going on here. Holy cow, God does miraculous things. Mm-hmm. And holy cow, sometimes God still puts you through some miserable circumstances. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where were you? You know, it's like these, this, these two contradictions, you know, the the Lutheran theology that I've been through would call those two things, you know, on the one side, theology of the cross. Mm-hmm. If Jesus went through hell and misery and the cross, well, we're going to, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the theology of glory that, hey, you know, good things, God has this victory and all this other kind of stuff— uh, there's more details to it that kind of explain why we talk about it that way sometimes, but uh, I've always thought they're both true. Yeah, and, I think so. And 
you can't figure out why sometimes there's the victory and the glory and why sometimes it's not and you just bear the cross and kind of live at the foot of the cross wondering maybe why or how is better mm-hmm. but jesus helps make sense of it in the you know when when you go through those miserable things you know it's not possibly because he doesn't care mm-hmm. it's not possibly because he doesn't love you absolutely and when you don't get those victories well we know there is a victory one day one way or another but also the victory is possible now and you're walking proof that you can get through anything <laughs> <laughs> pretty much and, and the miraculous I would say so much of that is miraculous. The fact that I didn't pass out while you're telling the story is actually kind of miraculous. Oh, you're not in the blood and guts. <laughs> I should have thought about that before I asked you in here to have that conversation. But I do believe that's <laughs> that's a miracle in and of itself. But that that pressure, you know, I I was in here doing a podcast back in November on spiritual warfare, mm. and I don't know if I've ever had a chance to tell you this story, but I, I won't give you all the details, but. It was actually right after the the SMA gala over here on uh, at the Olivier's house. Oh yeah, yeah. That night, I went home and came like that while I was sleeping. You know, face to face with evil. Demons. Seriously, yeah. Good thing it's the Ministers Association. <laughs> well, not there. Not there when I went to bed that night. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> no, you guys. I love you guys. I mean, we're a mess. And yeah, we're well, sinners a... that need a Savior, too. But that's not where I was going with it. Uh, I'd actually had, there's a, you should just listen to the podcast. Everybody else, you want to listen to the podcast if you haven't already. November 1st, I think, was when we did the podcast. Okay. And, I'd been through a bunch of things. I've been struggling, you know, why do I keep kind of hitting these obstacles in my life and and so many things related to it. My wife and I had this interesting conversation and we thought, well, maybe it's spiritual warfare. I actually texted a group of Catholic friends who are charismatic Catholics. Okay. So not your run-of-the-mill Catholics. Uh, we've had some very interesting <laughs> conversations. I love everybody. You know, I yeah, love be my careful Catholic what you say about and, the run-of-the-mill Catholics. <laughs> no, I mean, they're, they were just, they, yeah, they talk about some things in ways yeah. that, you know, get you very interested in having a conversation with hmm. them. And so I just texted them about, hey, what do you guys know about spiritual warfare? And I had texted them that afternoon like two o'clock I went home got ready for the SMA uh, event and then went with my wife we had a good time went home went to bed I before I go to bed I noticed they have all these responses that I haven't seen because I've been occupied and I start reading I'm like oh this is really interesting I can't wait to dig into this tomorrow I go to sleep and I don't know what time it was but it was a vision and an experience of supernatural evil. Oh. You know, this dream, like, I swear I'm walking to God. Like, there's God. I want to go where God is. And I start getting there. And as soon as I get there, it's like all of a sudden it's not God. It's like it was an, a mirage. And then suddenly it's 
evil satan mm. or something the ground <laughs> underneath me opens up but it's but i'm still in bed like it's still I, the ground underneath my bed felt like it opened up into this blackness but yet it was fiery and dark at the same time it was weird and i'm thinking well i think i need jesus now yeah 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 and i go to say jesus but i can't and when you look into this there there is a thing where you know sometimes when you're coming out of a sleep you just your mouth doesn't work mm -hmm. well yes that may have been it but it wasn't just that because of the pressure mm -hmm. like someone was actually pressing me into my bed and kind of doing this weird thing keeping my mouth shut but of course jesus knows what you're thinking and so yeah. jesus 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 in your head eventually gets some help on the way and then i could say it eventually and uh if the demons can make their presence felt mm. in in a physical way why not god why not jesus all the more so right he's got way more power than they do yeah that's a uh, interesting <clears throat> probably a deep subject that we don't want to get into right this moment but just in passing um there's so much more that's going on than meets the eye maybe elijah and his servant mm, yeah you know and uh, God said, open his eyes that he can see. And, well, he saw a vista of stuff that uh, you know, we still talk about today. There's a, lot, there's a lot going on, both good and bad. Um, maybe more so than the physical realm. We so, wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against oh, principalities and powers, right? Yes. Dark yeah. forces. The thing about about, you know, your story. And it's, you know, why would God give you that? Well, it, uh, it's a good lesson for you. God it's, wants you to see something. It's been a turning point for me. Yeah, I can understand how it would be. Uh, so all things work together for good, for those who love the Lord, called according to his purposes. So God has uh, showed you something that is beneficial for you to know. Mm -hmm. Allowed you to see it. Uh, you see that in the book of Revelation. John sees stuff. Uh, Paul saw stuff. He went places. And, uh, so we are, there's good things to know and there's some bad things. But all of these things uh, work for our good. So does minister so we can minister to other people. Mm -hmm. You know, Second um, Corinthians one, blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in yeah. our afflictions so that yeah, we can right. comfort others with the comfort which exactly. we have received. So when you run across somebody who's got that kind of a problem, uh, but it's, um, no, you can't change. You know, I, I don't like to joke all the time about it. You know, just Jesus, them crucified. And I said, you, know, you can't change your mind about this. I am 100 and billion convinced that Jesus is with us and he cares about us and that if he doesn't deliver us from a situation he'll deliver us through the situation uh, 
And that gives me great solace and peace. And I said that to anyone who's watching today and listening. What about me? I, I didn't have that experience, but my daughter's on drugs. Mm. I don't want to deal with that. Well, I'd, I'd rather get hit by a boat motor than have to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. So, I had a, a, a guy I know. He's a, another pastor, a theologian, writer. Mm. He lost a son, 21-year-old uh, son, uh, in a hiking accident. And, I mean, I almost started weeping just reading it and then thinking about my own kids. Uh, that's one thing I've heard from several people that have lost kids, that uh, they wouldn't wish it on their worst enemy. Mm-mm. That's how Mm-mm. much it hurts. Mm-mm. But, you know, what? I've actually done a funeral several times for people that have lost children. Sometimes uh, did one, I think it kid was five, maybe five days old mm. I've done everywhere else on the spectrum you know burying a child is miserable always but what I've started to say without trying to say that I know what it feels like is to say that God knows what that feels like yeah right he he lost a son yeah and not only did he lose his son, he knew what it would feel like when he would lose his son, when his son would die. And he did it knowing, right? So he knew how miserable it would be. And he subjected himself to that. He subjected Jesus to that. And we know he's with us. We yes. know he gets it. Yeah, he, he does. He's not uncaring. He He knows all the people who have and will lose children and he hates that so much, he's willing to endure that to rescue us all from it, that mm-hmm. that kind of a world, that kind of a broken world. Uh, yeah. James, I mentioned earlier, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. So that's... that's a, That says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. So we go through these things, and we're not our own animal. We're here as believers. And anyone, you, as you well know, I'm, I'm not that turned on by clergy being one. <laughs> you know? uh, not impressed, huh? Yeah, it doesn't impress me. But uh, people who are serving God and... Uh, a thousand different ways uh, are just as important to the kingdom as you and I are. And we can take these life lessons and share them with another person, and they can learn about this Jesus that we know about. I'm sure anybody who's watching this podcast, probably, I'd say, likelihood, most everybody knows Christ in some way or form. Otherwise, wouldn't be listening to us. Uh, but, uh, but if they're not, then they need him. But if they we're here to be more than just window dressing for the church. Mm. We're here to be what the Bible describes as the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. We are his hands, his feet, his mind, his heart. We are everything. You know, uh, and we need to, to spread this good news any way we can. To whoever listened to us, uh, 
like I learned 50 years ago, uh, there's an old expression, and I, I don't like it, but it, I've heard people use it all the time. Man, if you don't get right with God, you're going to bust hell wide open. <laughs> you know, you ever heard that? <laughs> Never heard that. Oh, that's an old Must Southern, be a Southern thing. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Uh, and I, I don't use that. <laughs> all right, but it's important that people uh, have a relationship with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> don't try to do it on your own. Uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What we earn is death itself, mm. separation from God. But a wonderful gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. He is the epicenter of everything. Uh, scripture says all things were created by him. Without him, nothing was created that was created. And all things are held together by him. He's it. Mm. And so, uh, it, as you said, he loves us. The story of the cross, of all the things that it is, it's the greatest love story ever told. It's the love of the Father and the Son radiated and going through what they went through, as you said, for us. It's, it's for the joy set before him. He despised the shame and endured the cross. Mm-hmm. And that joy is you and it's me and it's everyone listening that he cares about us. And, and that's, you know, the whole conversation, is as great as the highs have been, Love, you said the greatest love story. Love mm. is actually defined in the low moments, mm. right? Because it's easy when everybody's feeling wonderful. Oh, sure. That's easy to love people, right? Mm. Not that that's the real biblical definition of what mm. love is, but it's those low moments, and, and that is how God showed us love in the mm. lowest of low moments when God sent his son to go through what he went through on our behalf. And you're talking about people telling their stories. They need to tell those stories. My stories only get so far. Mm -hmm. Your stories only get so far. It's people that they know when they have a story. And what's that story often about? It's the lows. Mm -hmm. You know, I think too quickly we want to go to, oh, man, God just got me a Mercedes or something. You know, like, God, God help me get this. God help me get that. I'm just doing great, wonderful, and all this kind of stuff. And look at my my left hand, the surgery, and it's perfect. And I can touch every single one of my fingers, and the doctors are marveling. And But people live on that side, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's where yeah. I think where most people are. Yeah. Can God get me through this? And, and he it. can. Every situation, it's just uh, as simple and as difficult as turning it over to him. It was one of my favorite uh, songs uh, back from the 70s when I first got saved. It was written, I believe, uh, by Bill Gaither, uh, Something Beautiful, where he said that he took uh, his, 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 uh, all of his fortune, uh, turned to loss, you know, all that he had, became worthless and he laid it all at the cross and he made something beautiful out of my life uh, and and boy I really identify with that all of the wonderful things that I could do uh, that I did for the wrong reasons as far as God is concerned you know I wasn't an axe murderer or some lunatic or some horrible person uh, I was I was a guy taking care, trying to take care of his family, working in the world, but I didn't know God. And uh, when He t- 
took the time to make sure that I got introduced to him. Uh, that that's the moment for me as an individual, but it's not it's not a unique story. Mm. You, I know you love the story. I know you preach about it. everybody preaches about uh, Thomas. All right, of course. He's he's an easy you know he's he's low hanging fruit. I mean, there's <laughs> <laughs> great story in there. But the the part that I loved about that story about Thomas, you know, when he said, "If I don't put my hand in his his side and his uh, hand, you know, I'm not going to believe any of this story." And, uh, and Jesus said to him, "Blessed are you, Thomas, uh, because having seen, you believe." And here's the part I like. He said, "But blessed are those who never see and, and believe. believe." That's you and me. Yeah. That's everybody else. The rest of us. We hear the wonderful story. The Holy Spirit introduces us to Christ. We bend our will to his and say, okay, God, I give it all to you. My success, my failure, my hopes, my dreams, I give it all to you. And he says, oh, good. (laughs) Well, let's see what we can do with this. Uh, And he uh, makes something beautiful out of our lives. Yeah. There's a... I think it was C.S. Lewis. I had a a quote that came across my social media today. A friend of mine posted it. There we go. All that we call history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery— is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Exactly. And uh, I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Just the normal guy, not not in, you know, uh, particularly evil in any way, right? Uh, not that you weren't in need of a Savior, but uh, not the way people often say, well, it's, well you got to be really bad to need religion. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. <laughs> you got to really bad to need Jesus. But uh, just just kind of a normal guy, and you talked about leaving something, leaving things at the foot of the cross, mm-hmm. turning things over to the Lord. What does that actually look like? Because I, I think it's something that believers need. Mm-hmm. Like, so there are actually Christians that are probably struggling with a variety of worries, anxieties, fears, burdens, mm-hmm. stress. And then, of course, the non-Christians that we hope will stumble upon something like this, yeah. but, you know, a little less likely, perhaps. What does that look like? Is there, are there ways to help guide people into that kind of thing? Because I know there are times where I go, all right, Lord, it's all yours. And then five <laughs> minutes later, I'm like, but wait a second. I, I thought you were going <laughs> to... You know... Two, two thoughts come to my mind. Uh, one is, uh, you were kind enough to offer me this bottle of water. The problem was I couldn't get the cap off. <laughs> it takes two hands to do it. Yeah. You, know, you can use your teeth, but I don't recommend doing that. All right? uh, so I get, gave it to you. I said, I'm going to take the pop, pop the top. And you did. And I was able to get the water. I think laying things at the cross is kind of like that. You know, I can't get the top off the bottle, Lord. No matter what, how hard I try, it's just not working. You know, it's like a New, New Year's resolution. How's that working for you, you know? <laughs> and so 
Yeah, it's like August what? Is anyone still yeah. keeping their New Year's resolutions? Yeah, right. And so you give it to him and you say, you know, Lord, would you take care of this for me? So I think that's a, a simple illustration. But a more in-depth one. Uh, now, I've, this has been attributed to me. I'm sure I stole it from somebody. Uh, like a good preacher. It's yeah. All know, plagiarism somewhere in along the line. <laughs> Makes for dull preaching, right. Uh, and this guy, uh, in a Bible study one time, he said, and Morris said at a Bible study, I went to his house, this, and it changed my life. And I thought, I wonder what I said. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, God is painting a tapestry of hollows. And he's got the brush, and he's adding the colors and the contours and, you know, the right figures at the right places and, you know, it's the Rembrandt kind of a thing. And we're watching him, and we say, you know, I could do that. And so you grab the brush out of his hand, and so you start painting, and, of course, it's child's play. You know, it's it's a little stickman, and it doesn't work. And finally God says, uh, now let me have that brush on it. And so you give it back to him. And then he goes back and he fixes all the things that you did wrong on, mm-hmm. on the tapestry. So it's allowing him to do the things in our lives that just probably aren't working. If something you're doing is working, keep doing it. But if, you, if you're having trouble, if your marriage needs help, if you're, you need to do something with your kids, if, uh, if it's your job, your boss, your finances, you know, whatever the... You know, the multiplicity of things. You may be trapped in something like pornography, you know, or some bad habit that you're having difficulty with. And you can't do do it on your own. Hmm. That's what brings it to the cross. God, I can't do this. I can't break this habit. I can't fix my marriage. I can't fix my kids. And you turn it over to him and really let him do the job. And just say, okay, Lord, I'm just not going to let this destroy me and all those around me. I'm going to trust you to do it. Hmm. And it's amazing what God can do when we when we do that, when we turn it over to him. I've seen him uh, in my life and I've seen him in other people's lives just fix things that were just totally, totally broken. And But he can do it. Of course, it requires two things that most people, most Americans for sure, absolutely despise. Admitting they're wrong. Oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> that whatever this is is not good. Yeah. And then two, that they're helpless. And, uh, you know, for you to say, hey, can you open this? I mean, you, it was actually quite amazing. I mean, you just. Hey, yeah, can, if you can open it for me, sure. You know, like it, you didn't make a big deal out of it. You, you weren't like, well, you know, I really like almost ashamed that this is something that you need help with. You know, it wasn't anything. It was just, yeah, well, if you can open it for me because, you know, I ran into a prop on a <laughs> boat engine. <laughs> uh, and I think that's probably our biggest, those are the two things. You know, if well, we, that was my, one of my big problems. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it this morning. Yeah, about my mom and dad, you know, no education, all that kind of stuff. 
And in fact, I'm writing a book, by the way. I'm probably uh, 90% finished with it, getting ready to get, send it to a publisher. It's going to be kind of a semi-autobiography. The title, the working title is Rescued from the Ri- River and Other Dangerous Places. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my dad always told me that I, I, uh, he really inspired me uh, to do well. He always said, you can do better than I've done, son. And he told it to me so many times that I believed it. But I, I went uh, uh, too far. I became very self-reliant. I never asked anybody for anything. You know, I just do it myself. And so one of the things that's happened to me now is I can't do everything myself. So I have to say, hey, can you open this bottle for me? i tell you what's the worst one is go to a restaurant. You can't cut a steak with one hand. <laughs> Try cutting a steak with one hand. It's not easy. <laughs> and you have to say, to, to your wife, or maybe if I'm off with some guys, and uh, and those who, those who know me well enough, they'll see me struggling to eat something, a piece of chicken. I just reach over, just cut it for me on the plate, and I let them do it. There's an old part of me that says, uh. mm, I hate this," and there's a new part of me that says, uh, "It's okay. It's okay. I can't do it. I really can't do it alone." And what uh, Christ can't do, he does it through people to help me. He sends me somebody with two hands to do it. Mm. So so just turn it over to the Lord. Let him work with it for a while. And if he fails, then you probably got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, I don't think he will. I don't, I think, he don't will. think he will either. Well, it sounds like you're going to have to come back again anyway because you got a book. Oh, yeah, uh, that's going to be fun. So you're going to have to come on, tell us about the book, promote the book. Oh. We'll tell everybody all about it, and uh, maybe I'll have a couple of books done by then. Who knows? I got I got about 10 different ideas, uh, partially inspired by you at one or more meetings. You've said, mm. everybody's got at least one book in them. At least one. And I said, <laughs> well, I got 10. <laughs> Overachiever. It won't get done if you don't sit down and do it. I tell you, it's just it's the discipline, the discipline you have to do it. I've been working on this one for a long time. It's not new. It's, no, no, and I've done other books in the meantime. Uh, but I, I'd like to tell kind of the whole story and what you can do in a book. You know, you have the time to develop the the thoughts uh, to address the issues that we're talking about right here. So what about me? I'm not a special, you know, somebody says, oh, I'm not special. You know, well, I'm not either. <laughs> and you'll hear about it. Uh, stuff like uh, the clubhouse. Uh, you, where did you read about the clubhouse? In the, the clubhouse. I'm going to have to. <laughs> oh, it's got a chapter all to itself. Uh, just uh, dealing with success, dealing with failure. Yeah. Uh, I've done both. Uh, it's pretty heady to be successful sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. When the when you're working uh, at NASA, and the head guy from NASA comes to see you, that's pretty heady. Yeah. Uh, of course, he came to see me because I was had written a series of programs that if it didn't run. My neck was, <laughs> and his neck too was in a loose, the news. Uh, so uh, that's some of the headiness. That's before Christ, and I, and I write about some of that stuff. Uh, 
and then I write about the other things that uh, God has been able to do and allow me to participate in and uh, to see his somebody said one time I wonder what the church would be like if we'd have taught people how to give instead of how to tithe because hmm. we talk about tithing well you know everybody gets to tithe idea 10% and that's enough uh but what have we taught them how to give? In fact, the New Testament teaches uh, not to give out of necessity, don't give up grudgingly, but give out of a cheerful heart. That's the word. Cheerful there is where we get the word hilarious from. You give out of a hilarious heart. And so I wonder if we uh, didn't uh, teach more and encourage people more to, to enjoy the walk with the Lord. Don't take themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, deal with the problems you have to deal with and... Uh, Share the, share the gospel. The greatest joy that most of us can experience as Christians is praying with someone as they invite Christ into their life and see the transformation take place. I mean, that is so... I mean, talking to the biggest, the number one guy at NASA and watching some young man, young woman receive Christ into their life. Talking to the big guy over the, the whole thing. Oh, we're talking about the number one dude, the guy that they they talk about in the news. Well, I mean, uh, comparing you talking to the guy at NASA with talking with someone, praying with someone who is talking to not somebody that's at NASA, but who's over everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the really big guy. Yeah, the really, really, really really big big guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. Well, we don't want to spoil it. We got to have you back for the book. Yeah, pray for me that I get it finished. I, I, the hardest part of any book is the last five percent, because you keep going back to it and say, "Well, this I could say this differently, or I could add this to it." Well, what about I could add this story in here? And sooner or later, you got to say that's enough and start just send it off to someone to proofread it and start putting it together. And uh, um, I'm kind of excited about it. Uh, I don't know what the title will be, but I like that one. I rescued. I think people might say, what is that all about? Rescued from the river and other dangerous places. Much more dangerous than the river I've been in. I think it'll be great. I think it'll be great. I'm sure you've got some stories. Sounds like God's been uh, creating quite a tapestry and maybe fixing some of the parts you tried to do to scribble over. Oh, but, let me tell you, he's, he's grabbed the paintbrush a lot of times. I'm glad he did in mine. Yes. I just need to know when I'm the one painting instead of him. That's the trick, I think, right? Uh, it's easy. Just look at the painting. <laughs> <laughs> if it looks like a five-year-old did it, it was you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you have it, folks. There uh, you go. And on that note, I think it's time for a drumstick. Yeah, yes, I've been waiting for it. So, How long we've we been talking? Oh my gosh, long enough. Oh long enough. man, these poor and people I, listening. <laughs> there's actually a few few things. Uh, I think most of the time, people either come back to it later, and I got to get somebody in here, some tech savvy person, to chop these things up into little bits, you know, bite sized bits. Haven't haven't quite done that yet, but uh, I think people come back and check things out, especially when they hear some good stories like what you've got to, 
to share here. So, <laughs> and there's more here I didn't even go into. You know, just the the idea of forgetfulness and anyway, well, yeah. let's not do we that. We could stay here all day. We're a couple like a couple little old ladies sitting around and chatting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's been great to have you, and uh, I think. You are certainly a testimony to how sweet Jesus is, sweeter than ice cream. Thank you. And I hope you enjoy it. Share it, like, subscribe. You can find Morris on YouTube and Facebook as well. And look for his book coming out, Rescued from the River and Other Dangerous Places. Maybe. Working title still. How's it sound? Do you like it? I like it. Yeah, sounds kind of interesting. Rescued from the River. There's a little alliteration going on there. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, good stuff. And gave a little snippet here today mm-hmm. already. So hopefully wetting their appetite for it. But uh, y'all taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, 8. Uh, hopefully you're able to sense that today. And uh, don't forget, ice cream is sweet, but Jesus is sweeter. We'll catch y'all uh, next time. See ya.